Welcome to the Professional Drinkers podcast, brought to you by choosesunrise.co.uk. I'm Janet Hadley, and this is for you if you're an HR professional, a business owner, or a leader who'd like to explore the drinking culture in your workplace. I'll bring you lived experience stories, expert views, and tips for creating a drink-safe workspace without killing the buzz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Professional Drinkers podcast on this bright and cheerful, sunny, crisp winter's morning here in Leeds in the UK. It is a beautiful day and I can see nothing but blue sky as I look out of my window, which is a lovely, lovely start to the morning. Um, So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be talking about Gen Z and young people today, which uh, for someone who is in their late 40s, middle to late 40s, should we say, uh, (laughs) is uh, perhaps might seem a little bit odd. Um, I have um, teenage daughters, um, so I do live with a number of Gen Zers. um, And my guest today, um, Elizabeth Gratian, is also uh, Gen Z. She's straight out of university. And it's a great conversation um, that I have with Liz about the changing face of how alcohol is perhaps seen at universities and colleges across the UK. And I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated to hear about the work that Elizabeth did while she was uh, working at university. Um, I actually came across Elizabeth Gratian through an article that she wrote about how to create more inclusive so um so inclusive for sober people events um and this is a real issue for employers um people often struggle to think of how to create an event that doesn't revolve around alcohol if the person organizing the event like me has been a drinker all of their lives um obviously i don't drink now but until three years ago that i i couldn't imagine an alcohol-free event, I couldn't imagine what you would do for fun if you didn't have alcohol involved. And actually, um, what Elizabeth has demonstrated quite clearly is that there's not only is there a market for this, there is a need for it in the workplace um, if you are going to be truly inclusive and enable people to feel that that they belong. Um, And that, of course, there are so many things that you can do for fun without alcohol. Um, If you if you are struggling for ideas, um, you can actually head over to the Choose Sunrise website and sign up for our free HR resources. Uh, just drop me a note and let me know that you want the, um, the, the, the one that I've actually ran in December, which is about um, ideas for an alcohol-free event. Um, so, yeah, just head over to the website and let me know if you'd like to get a copy of that. Um, the other really interesting thing is there was a, a great article in the B, on the BBC News site just yesterday about the, the cost of living crisis and how that actually is impacting young people's decision to drink. Um, so as we all know, it's a real struggle for people in Gen Z to get onto the housing market. And so many people are seeing alcohol as just an unnecessary expense, um, which is a really interesting angle, actually. Um, Gen Z are growing up with um, financial worries. They're growing up with um, university debt and with really a lot of, you know, obviously at the moment we've got the cost of living crisis and we've got rapid inflation. 
And it's no wonder, actually, that people are starting to look at alcohol and think, you know, do I really need this in my life? Um, I I think, yeah, I've certainly saved... Oh, gosh, I've thousands. I've got a little app, actually. I could look it up. I think it's about three... I don't know, three, four thousand pounds, something like that, that I've now saved from not drinking. Um, I've got um, there's someone in one of the Facebook groups that I belong to who saved enough money to buy a camper van um, by not drinking, which is quite cool. I love that. Um, And the other um, aspect to Gen Z is that they are more risk averse. So a lot of risky behaviours, such as like drug use and unprotected sex, smoking, driving dangerously, all of those things are on the decrease um, with Gen Z, which is, I'm not sure which came first, the the not drinking, uh, which in my experience can lead to other risky behaviours, and I'm sure we can all relate to that, um, or whether it was, whether it's actually the fact that people are more risk averse in that generation that is leading to the um, overall decline in those risky behaviours. It'd be uh, fascinating to study that. Um, There's also a lot more understanding um, within this generation of what alcohol does to your health. So I can remember being on holiday and sitting down with a massive glass of wine, really enjoying it with my children, who must have been about eight, nine, ten years old, something like that. And then ordering another one and one of them saying to me, mummy, it's not healthy to drink more than one glass of wine a day. And I was like, what? (laughs) And they'd been taught at school that, it, you know, what healthy amounts of alcohol were. Um, To be fair, actually, maybe they were a little bit older and they were at high school. I can't remember. Either way, I was really shocked that they knew that and that it was something that was being taught in school. Um, And I'm... At the time, I was a little bit annoyed. I'm not going to lie. I was like, let me enjoy my wine. Um, but with retrospect, and now as a, someone who has removed alcohol from my life, I massively applaud that. I think it's amazing that that's being taught in schools. And growing up with some kind of understanding of what is a healthy amount of alcohol, which, by the way, is zero. Um, and if you read Professor David Nutt's uh, book, he talks about how if alcohol went through food safety testing now the safe amount would be one small glass of wine per year (laughs) not per day or week per year so yeah i think zero is is truly the healthy amount of alcohol to drink um but yeah just having that understanding from a young age is definitely going to have an impact on what how people behave um and the other um aspect is that given the so many parents so people my age grew up in the hedonistic 90s um how many other mums out there are there like me who were a proper 90s laddette who spent their time downing pints keeping up with the boys and generally being a complete tear away um probably quite a few of us i think what's happened to us is we've turned into the mummy wine culture crew now who uh, justify and egg each other's on through social media memes, um, encouraging each other to drink wine as a way of coping with the stresses of having um, work and family commitments. Um, again, something that I was really ingrained in as a drinker and that with a bit of perspective now as a non-drinker, I look at it and I think actually that is really dangerous and it's um, it's not something that I 
uh, I was going to say that I approve of. That sounds awfully judgmental. Uh, what I really mean is I think it needs to be, it, it's very interesting to see it in a different light. And if you swap the word wine for cigarettes and then look at some of those memes and think, oh, mummy needs a cigarette to cope, that would make you frown. Um, and actually, it's really not that different saying that mummy needs a glass of wine to cope. Um yeah, I think it's something that I would really encourage people to question. Um, and then the final bit, really, around Gen Zers and their uh, lack of drinking is the social media aspect. So there is a real fear factor here of people losing control and having photographs of them all over social media when they wake up in the morning doing stupid things and that is so relatable. I mean, I've said it before, I think even on this podcast, but if social media and camera phones had existed when I was in my teens, I don't think I would have ever been able to get a job. <laughs> Shall we just leave it at that? Um, I am very, very grateful that that did not happen. Um, so this is a, this is something that uh, I think as well that the sort of rise in people's drinks being spiked and people being much more aware of the dangers, especially with women, of the dangers of um, being a victim of, uh, of sexual assault. It, it, those sorts of things have been um, much more widely talked about as this generation have grown up. And in, in 2019, it is obviously a few years out of date this, but Google did some research that showed that 41% of Gen Zers actually associate alcohol with the words vulnerability, anxiety, and even abuse, um, which is very, very surprising. Um, and 60% of UK Gen Zers associate drinking with a loss of control. So, and that's not something that is seen as desirable. It's seen as something that is um, f to be feared um, and to be avoided, uh, especially for women is what this research con concluded. So there are all sorts of reasons why Gen Zers who are just entering into the workplace now are choosing not to drink. And this is something that the hospitality industry is rapidly working to adapt to um, and recognising that alcohol-free options are an absolute must for all of their menus and also recognising that kind of value-add experiences are really important for people when they're on a night out it's not necessarily just sitting around and chatting um there are interactive activities such as you know like there's a crazy golf uh place there's the crystal maze in manchester which is an amazing night out there's all the escape rooms there's uh, all sorts of immersive activities that are popping up that really don't involve alcohol and do involve having a fun experience as a night out and it's something that um, employers are in general a little bit behind the curve on and they're still seeing alcohol as the go-to reward and still seeing alcohol as the go-to experience for any kind of workplace event. And the really progressive ones who get on the front foot with this trend and who start to recognise the need to do something different in this space are the ones who are going to attract the best of that talent pool. So it's a really exciting time to be working in this space um, and, you know, I'd love for you to get in touch and share with me what you're doing in your workplace to get ready for this and to adapt. Um, and, you know, I'd be more than happy to have anyone who's got some really, really good examples uh, to come on the show and talk to us about what you're doing.
Um, so I will introduce you now to Elizabeth Gratian. Um, Elizabeth is a very inspirational young woman. Um, as I said, I came across her from a brilliant article that she wrote. Um, she is a senior content marketing executive at McNaughton Digital, and she writes for Micro Bizmag, which is where I first came across her. Um, and she talks about the importance of inclusivity for non-drinkers at events. So over to the interview. So my guest this week is Liz Gration, who is a digital marketer who works in SEO. Um, and I came across Liz when I read an excellent article that she'd written um, for a, um, a publication called Micro Bismarck. Um, so we'll ask Liz a little bit more about that. But first of all, Liz, can you just tell us a little bit about you and a bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so I'm Liz. I graduated university for around four years ago um, and since I've been um, in digital marketing mainly focused on SEO. Um, so we've got quite a few different clients in a range of sectors from everything from cryptocurrency to healthcare, um, fitness and everything in between really travel um, and we have some of our own internal projects one of which is MicroBizMag which you found Janet um, and yeah so I, I do a lot of writing for a range of different topics and a lot of my interests lie in um, welfare and that, that side of things, which I also, um, I was in a role, you know, doing that kind of thing at university. Okay, what did you do there, just helping people with their well-being? Yeah, so I was the, in my second year, I was the women's welfare officer. And then in my third year, I was the vice president um, of welfare. And that kind of... It covered a lot of grounds, really, from um, one of the biggest times of year was um, Welcome Week, yeah. which used to be called Freshers Week. Um, but they're trying to stay away from that because of the connotations with freshers and drinking. Yeah. Um, and we kind of tried to steer that quite a lot and, and make more of an emphasis on activities that were not centered around alcohol during that time. And also just giving a lot of support to people who maybe have never drank alcohol before, have never been in the nightclub kind of scene before, um, and helping them to transition to university life, not just um, with regards to you know the nightlife side of things, but the day-to-day, -day, missing home and getting used to um, a new world, really. And yeah, I, re I really loved that role. I bet. Now, that's really fascinating because um, I'm now going completely off piste with this questions that I thought I might ask you because I really want to talk about this, if that's okay. Um, yep. So I've got three daughters. I've, I have triplets, which is another story for another day. So they're 17 and they're applying to university at the moment. They're not big drinkers. Um, you know, they've probably seen me drunk so many times that they they think yeah mum's much better since she stopped drinking perhaps we won't go down that route but I do worry a little bit about them going off into the big wide world and going out and like you say never been to a nightclub never been as part of that scene um it's really nice to hear that there may be someone looking out for them is that something that you'd yeah. expect at all universities now yeah yeah I'd like to and I think especially that um 
especially the presence of a student, a fellow student who is a welfare officer, because sometimes it can be quite, it's different for every student, but that kind of sense of authority, the sense of people telling you what to do is very much, um, you know, like having a fellow student minimalises that if you have been trained. So we had training in, um, it was kind of, what was it called? Help your buddy out or something yeah. like that. Way to help out your mate. And it was all about mental health training and it was, um, it, it covered a lot of topics and it allowed me and the, so we had a little team um, in our college, which was, I guess, only one of nine colleges at Lancaster University. So every college had three, you know, so there's tons and tons of us. Um, and I know that there's a lot of other universities as well who were kind of taught how to support and signpost students to services that they need, whether that's medical, whether that's mental health services, whatever that might be. And even just like having someone that they know they can approach and talk to. Um, and for some of that, so like my other role at uni, which was a volunteering role, again, was with Nightline. Oh yeah, I it. have heard of Nightline, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. so it's basically like... So it's kind of like the, the university version of Samaritans. So it's run by each individual university. So mine was Lancaster Nightline. Um, and uh, my brother actually volunteered at Keele Nightline at his university. And there's call takers who um, answer the phone, you know, so if students are having difficulty with anything from missing home to struggling with a workload or struggling with bullying or anything, they can ring up Nightline and they'll have a listening ear, basically. And I was on the publicity team for it because I'm quite interested in marketing and stuff. And um, even part of that was just to dress up as a big elephant. And it's like a, <laughs> that was the mascot. And I was always the one who ended up in this <laughs> elephant costume. Brilliant. And it had massive ears. And the idea was that it listens, you know. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, and it was great. So we'd go around Freshers Fair and we'd go walking around and kind of make ourselves look like idiots. But everyone knew that we were really approachable and that if there was any problems that they had, they could come to us, um, which was always really nice. Oh, I really wish I'd had you around when I was at uni. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice person. <laughs> so um, I did really enjoy the article that you wrote in Micro Bismarck. Um, which was really centred around considering people who are alcohol-free um, yeah. in in the workplace. Did you have any particular incidents or experiences in mind when you wrote that article? Yeah, so right now I don't organise many events in marketing, um, but I did organise a lot of events. Well, I, I attend a lot now, but I did organise a lot of events when I was at uni. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were originally centered around alcohol. So unknowingly to us, we were excluding a lot of people, whether they be students who just don't happen to drink, whether they were religious. A lot of people were from different um, Asian ethnic minorities. Some of them were mature students who had to drive all the way home to Blackpool after work and didn't want to drink. Or There was tons and tons of reasons yeah. why. A lot of people didn't drink and accidentally, really, the social team, um, which I wasn't part of, but I worked alongside in, in the organising of the events. So I did the health and safety type of uh, parts of them, were leaving tons of people out or maybe people were going along and feeling uncomfortable, Yeah, um, which was 
awful. Yeah, yeah. So I found out about that. I, I kind of, I was like, why do not, why does, why do we only see certain people come into these events? Why is it always the same people? There's so many more people in our college or our university. Why don't they come? So I sent out um, questionnaires on email and they weren't very successful. So then I sent them out on social media and they were very successful. Wow, interesting. Um, and yeah, I asked, what kind of events do you like that the college puts on? What kind of events do you want to see more of? Um, and people came back to us and said, non-alcohol yeah, centred. Interesting. And so I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. So then I put on tons of... Um, alcohol free so we had like yoga um nights we had you know with an instructor coming in yeah. and we had uh what else did we do free food so we did f food centered around different cultures different cuisines and still the turnout was rubbish and i thought what am i doing wrong so then i sent out another questionnaire another poll <gasps> and they said all of these events are very nice and well thought out and x, x y and z but they're all in the bar. Right. So it's the location of the events. Yeah. So a lot of people don't feel comfortable going in a bar setting. And I was like, of course. Why didn't I think about that? So then <laughs> we put on loads of, we did like an afternoon tea. We did a trip to the Lake District. We did like a martial arts session. And they were, there were so many people there. And so many different types of people from different backgrounds. And I was so happy. But it did take, this process took about nine months. Yeah. But then by the end of that, I could pass all of that on to the next um, year of welfare teams and hopefully they've passed it on to the next and the next and the next. And then it, it helps, doesn't it? Oh, that's such an interesting journey. And how helpful for you to share that with people because, you know, the work that I do um, with employers to help make the workplace more inclusive, what an interesting tip that location is so important. Yeah. Is there anything um, else that you can... Um, tell us about your experience of organizing these events that don't revolve around alcohol that you think could be helpful for people who maybe work in HR or well-being or people who work in events to consider when they're setting these things up um I think just asking people what they want um because sometimes especially since cutting down on alcohol myself I feel like alcohol, like, so if I'm going to a conference, for instance, in marketing, and there's a, it almost seems like, um, I don't know what the word is, like a purposeful replacement alternative for a drinking event that's not actually that fun. Yeah. So it might be like a mocktail night, a mocktail making night, and I'm like, hmm, and you go and it's like, mix this juice with this juice, and I'm like, oh. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about something more fun and more well thought out that yeah. we can really, really get given to and enjoy? That's not just a replace a substitute for uh, an alcohol themed event, um, and putting kind of putting that first, and then making the alcohol alternative an option. Yeah. You know. But I think the main thing is asking people what they want and understanding why as well. Um, yes. Is a really good. Uh, a really good start. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. And I think you're right. There is, as a, as a non-drinker, people, people who drink, and I, I would have done the same. I would assume that people who don't drink will want to drink mocktails 
because it's like almost yeah. drinking. And it's like, well, actually, people who don't drink aren't really bothered about mocktails particularly. Uh, yeah. They're kind of into, yeah. I don't know, yoga or cooking or cold water swimming or scuba diving or yeah. hiking or something. I don't know, you know, not suggesting you do those things on a work night out, but they they have other stuff in their lives that they do. It, it, they get their dopamine from other activities not from drinking yeah. and I think that's really hard to understand um as a drinker and there, there are so many heavy drinkers who are event organizers that I think it's really hard sometimes for those event organizers to see that their events are not appealing to everyone yeah I think that um I don't know if you've ever seen it here is an episode of the in-betweeners where Will this character says um isn't it interesting sitting uh, in a pub and ordering a pint you'd never sit there and drink a pint of orange juice pint after pint after pint <laughs> but then you and it was really funny and it made me think of that it's like yeah I don't want to sit there because you think about so I've been trying to cut down on um alcohol and sugar as a whole and I went on a night out with some friends in Manchester the other night and I thought oh what what can I have and it was just like sugar 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 yeah. and I'm thinking oh I don't really want to drink that much like I don't actually want to drink that much liquid yeah. either. Like I just want to do other things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is. It's, <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a revelation. It's like I always find that I'm I'm absolutely fine for the first hour and a half, maybe, um, and then I've had maybe two soft drinks, and everyone's starting to repeat themselves and tell the same joke three times and think that yeah. they're hilarious. And I'm like. I think I'm going to go home. <laughs> it's lovely to see yeah. you all, but um, yeah. And, be, you know, maybe that's why you get the whole being sober is boring label. But what those people don't realise is that what you're doing when you get home to you is actually significantly more fun than sitting and drinking. Plus, you're getting up yeah. early the next day and doing something exciting in the morning when everyone else is crawling around with the head in the hands yeah. so yeah, yeah they don't get to yeah. see that part of it <laughs> yeah 100% I think that I'm working with my PT at the moment as well and he was saying about how it's not just the night and the damage of the, that and the day after it's like three days after that yeah. where you're still trying to recover and your body is you know you're craving eating more rubbish and you know like it's kind of a vicious cycle isn't yeah, it yeah it really especially is. at university like i was really bad for it because i would there'd be nights out in the week and at the weekend and i think a lot of it at that age it's wanting to fit in yeah it's it's a case of wanting to feel more comfortable if yep. you've got you know you you, you don't have loads of um confidence in yourself and you think wow I could never get up there so my friend is sober he's always mm -hmm. he's never drank alcohol he's just not interested in it and he goes on so many nights out and he does so much he's he's literally the life and soul of every party but he's never drank yeah. he's not interested in drinks or drugs or anything like that and he will happily get up there and go do the karaoke and we all used to say to him how do you do that and having no alcohol but it's only the last like I don't know I don't know how many years that we've started thinking we well, can't do anything like that unless you've had a drink that that's the only thing that can get you to that point whereas if you don't have the alcohol which for some people is like um a safety tool yeah. um that they use then maybe that'll give you the space to develop that confidence in other ways in yourself and yeah yeah I'm yeah sorry, I'm going off track. no it's absolutely fine i i, I... 
I totally agree. And for me, I mean, I was mid-40s by the time I stopped drinking. And what a lot of people go through is this kind of period of having to do so many things for the first time sober. So, like, I, yeah. I had to... I had to almost deliberately get up and be the first person on the dance floor the first time I went out without a drink because I was like, I I don't feel like I can do it. But actually, you get up and you dance and then you realise that you're actually probably a lot better at dancing now that you're sober than you were when you were drinking. Plus, (laughs) nobody cares and no one's watching anyway. Um, But it is very interesting. It's... uh, Alcohol is really good at removing your self-consciousness. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and, and that's why we that's why we start using it, isn't it? It's a kind of social, uh, it reduces that social anxiety. And that's how people start. That's why it's so popular at universities. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but it's entirely possible for people to do all of those things sober. It just takes a little bit of practice. And it's, it's uh, yeah. I think, Catherine Gray, who's a a writer on the topic of long-term sobriety. She describes it as your first couple of years being like a sober toddler and you have to kind of grow grow into your sober shoes and grow up a little bit and uh, then suddenly you get yeah. to be like a sober adult and you can do everything sober and it's like, oh, <laughs> I've grown up now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, she's, yeah, definitely. she's a great writer. Um, so... I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in the world of work then, having done all of this um, great stuff while you were at university with well-being in mind. Of all the jobs that you've had since you graduated, where do you think has had the kind of booziest culture? So I've only ever worked in marketing, really, um, since graduating from uni. And I think that... So I think it's one of them really in terms of industries. I think it seems to be less the industry and more the environment you're in within the industry. So I, for instance, work in a really, really small um, marketing agency out just outside of Manchester. So we kind of in the outskirts. If you look out the window, you can just see sheep. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) That's where we are. And it's lovely. And there's seven of us or eight of us were really really small it's a family business i'm not um related i'm kind of the adopted employee (laughs) employee but yeah um it's a really nice little um workplace and we go to conferences quite you know like every few months but we generally when we do our own events and if we do like gifts uh christmas and stuff they're not really centered around alcohol Whereas 15 minutes away in the centre of Manchester, where my friends work at marketing agencies, everything's centred around alcohol and they'll be expected to take clients out for drinks. They'll be expected to um, go out on, on socials all the time. There'll be a mini bar in the office with free beer um, and it's very much alcohol centric. And I think that it's difficult to... Um, I don't know. It seems like every industry is different. Some are probably more boozy than others, but within the, it's more the onus has to be on the employer of the specific company and the, um, the team within it rather than kind of a whole industry. Yeah. Yeah. No, that does make sense. And I think, I mean, what, what is your view 
on employers' responsibilities, I guess, when it comes to setting that alcohol culture. Um, do you think it's okay for there to be alcohol available in the office? Do you have a view on that? Hmm, that's interesting. I think that in terms of awareness and understanding, it's an employer and the HR team or, you know, all of their, everyone's responsibility to be alcohol aware, whether that's um, going on a course, doing kind of making it the same as any, so even just discrimination, we, we talk a lot in the workplace about discrimination against certain ethnic minorities, gender has come up a lot, but you don't hear a lot of discrimination against non-drinkers coming up or yeah. discrimination against people who have alcohol problems. But that's something that's so prevalent. The amount of times I've been out with people, um, you know, like whether it's at conferences or something, someone goes, oh, I'm not drinking. And then people are like, oh, you're teetotal. Did you used to be an alcoholic? Are you pregnant? And I think that getting out of that, because that's what makes the stigma, isn't yes. it? Being able to accept and being able to just go, oh, right. Because it, like, if someone says that to me, I'm not that interested. I'm just like, you do you. Yep. You know, like, I, it's not a big deal to me. And I'd like when I say I'm not drinking for people not to question me yeah. in the same way. So I think that that starts from the top. If you see your managers and you see people in your workplace doing that, then the responsibility could be on you and on your team, you know, to raise it. But I think it's their responsibility to make the workplace a space where we can feel comfortable if we're uncomfortable about something, if we'd like to see more sober events, if we don't like the way certain things are being done, we don't like receiving a big bottle of gin every Christmas or whatever it is, to be able to ask for change, to be able to say, oh, what what do you think about this alcohol awareness course or this, um, you know, anything like that and put forward ideas. So I guess it's less, um, what should we do in terms of alcohol specifically and more what should we do in terms of understanding our employees making sure they feel comfortable raising any queries they've got about anything and being able to talk to them and understand their views um, on that. what a great answer i totally agree with you and i think you know what you've just said there about um inclusion is what you're talking about um i think that non-drinkers have uh, they are we are i am stigmatized for not drinking not necessarily by people who i work with in my team you know day to day like people know me and and, and i'm not saying that it's a, a massive problem for me day to day right now yeah. but the the absolute fear of having to tell people constantly that I wasn't drinking, it it stopped me from asking for help for a long time when actually I really should have asked mm. for help quite a lot sooner. And I genuinely believe that if we can bring this topic into the workplace and make it much more normal for people to say I'm not drinking and to reduce the amount of questions that they have to answer <coughs> and to give them that psychological safety, um, I think that we'll find that people can actually um get the help that they need with alcohol use much much earlier yeah. um and to your point i mean i think I, I think if i'd have got help sooner i'm perhaps i'd be moderating now instead of stopping completely i'm a little bit i mean to be fair i don't actually want to drink but 
I'd also be quite scared to drink. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think I'd terrify everyone around me as well, to be fair. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the, I do wonder sometimes what might have happened if it had just been a little bit more normal to say yeah. I need a bit of help and to have a long break from alcohol. I do sometimes wonder if things might have been different. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's a really good point. Um, and... How do you think that we can challenge employers then in this space? I think that having, like I say, the the training and things like that and having a really good look at what policies companies already have in place and how um, issues related to alcoholism and, um, you know, the stigma around it how that can be included in yeah in those policies already because it kind of is like it is discrimination or it is i think that a lot of companies now are trying to shift to more um even just like health focused yeah. ways of being so having like you said about the beer fridge having a fridge with smoothies and with healthy options and things like that yeah. but in doing that also making sure that there's kind of um it's not just a suggestion it's not just a a movement that's kind of like oh why don't you be inclusive to people who don't drink isn't that a nice thing to do and more a this is what you have to do as a workplace this is it's not okay to exclude certain groups no matter what Mm -hmm. and alcoholism you know being a drinker being a non-drinker it might not be necessarily a um you know it's not your gender it's, yeah, it's not, not your, a protected um, category yeah yeah but it should be should it not well i would love it to be and actually um you've hit the nerve on the head there because alcohol change uk are campaigning for it to become a protected category so you never know oh. it may become one and that will create <laughs> yeah. a lot of change yeah a lot of change yeah. so yeah um, I know I really really support them with that I think it's a great campaign um, can I just ask you about something you touched upon as well where you said you've got friends who work in the city centre um, how do you feel um, about jobs where people feel that they perhaps have to drink when they're entertaining clients what's, what's your views on that I think again that comes from further up I think that that pressure it often might not even come from the clients themselves if you know you had the opportunity to because you've been able to discuss this with your employer your boss your manager whoever and you could say right you know what we're having this meeting at 11 o'clock in the morning instead of whatever time and we're going to have it at a coffee shop and we're going to do this 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 and that activities and it's going to be great the the client might actually turn around and go oh, do you know what? It makes a really nice change. I needed a break, you know? And so I think that sometimes we can feel pressures that are there, but don't have to be there. And and it's hard to turn around to, especially when something's been done the same way all the time. And that's all you've ever known. It's all your boss has ever known. It's so hard. It's like, it's really tough. And I think it's really brave for people to turn around and say, do you know what? I'd really like it if we could do things differently. And it's, 
it, but it's not just your responsibility to ask that it's it's the employer's responsibility to listen and really take heed and and make those changes and and also be a role model so if if that's all you see if you've just joined a new company and that's all that's happening then you'll feel pressured to do it and you'll maybe mm-hmm. and you'll be you know doing that all the time but if you can see that you know what there are other options um then hopefully yeah I don't know if that answers your yeah question. no it absolutely does and it you reminded me of when I first stopped drinking and I, I was actually a little bit scared of telling one of my friends that I'd stopped because what we mostly did together was go out drinking and um yeah. I, we don't live near each other anymore but we were going to see each other and I was I thought about warner I was like I haven't drunk for three months um, and I don't want to drink and she texted me back saying I haven't drunk for three months and I don't want to drink and it was like oh my god I'm so happy <laughs> but yeah just exactly what you just said it's it, yeah you might be surprised um, you might and, and some of the clients that I work with in the workplace they've said well we weren't sure if this would really work or not so we sent a little survey out and we asked all of our people whether they'd be interested in having um you know a sober support group within the workplace and like 10 percent of our workforce have come back and said yes <laughs> so yeah it's it's because i think as a drinker it's something that you imagine isn't needed and um it might be a little bit tricky to see to see the need for it um yeah. i certainly wouldn't have expected that when i was a drinker i just assumed that mm-hmm. everyone else drank because everyone yeah. i knew did um and then my final, well, almost final question is, do you think that managers are equipped to help someone? Um, do you think that they could spot someone and help someone who is developing an alcohol use issue in the workplace in your experience? No. Interesting. I'm not. Yeah. I'm really not, honestly. I, and I've done loads of welfare training yeah. and I know a lot about, you know, uh, mental health and, and struggles like that but I think that it's so 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 hard and it's something that that you that we all really really need to learn about um and even just learn it so it's in this situation and I think that I'm kind of glad that you've asked that question because it's made me think about what I need to do um going forward and and you know people managing later in my career I, as a person, not necessarily just for it in the workplace, but if I can go online and find different resources and find out as much as I can, then no matter what impl- you know what workplace I'm at, even if I'm in a busy city centre London um, marketing agency where th- there's no systems like that in place, I can I know that I'm doing my best to help, um, and I think that that's yeah, it, it's partly your responsibility. Your mm, it's something really really good for you to do yeah but it's also something that would be great if if workplaces offered um training and uh could send you off to things like that or even just include it in because i've been to so many workshops on uh, mental health and suicide prevention and everything like that and they've touched on um the issue of alcohol a little but not really yeah i don't really know a lot about it yeah um yeah so yeah it'd be great to to find out more well you can always ring me and (laughs) that's what i do so i can i help line managers to to get themselves to a place where they can have that 
that conversation. They can make an intervention in a compassionate, confidential way. Um, they can have the confidence to do that and to spot the problem and to support someone. Um, so yeah, it's part of part of what we offer at Choose Sunrise. So great advert for me there. Oh, Thank amazing. you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and where can listeners find out a little bit more about your work then? Uh, LinkedIn's probably best, um, which is Elizabeth Gration. Oh, I think it's Elizabeth and then in brackets Liz Gration because people are searching for, <laughs> people are searching for both. And then Twitter is Liz Gration, but with two Zs oh, okay. <laughs> on the Liz. Um, so I can't decide. Perfect. And my final, final question is, um, what is your favourite book and why? Right now, it's an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. Have you no, read it? I haven't. So it's kind of it's classed as a sci-fi, but it's not very sci-fi-ish. It's it, I think it would appeal to lots of different audiences, and it touches on quite a diff, quite a few themes like social media and fame and the impact of that on um, well-being and um, psychology. You know, like. Oh, there's just so much to it. Aliens. Wow. <laughs> like, it's really, really, it's a good book. And Hank Green is a really, really good writer. This is his first book and he's done a second one. So it's an absolutely remarkable thing. And then a, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the second one. A truly something endeavour, it's called. Okay, um, yeah. And they're both really, really good. Mm -hmm. I will look out for that. That's not one that I've come across, so thank you. Um, listen, thank you so much. Oh, go on. Oh, no, no I actually said I'd recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, cut out on mine for a moment. But, yeah, listen, thank you so, so much, Liz, for being such a great guest. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing your views. It's great to hear from somebody who's so fresh out of university and to get a bit of a younger perspective on this. Um so thank you for sharing your views and thank you for the great article that you wrote. I thought it was really remarkable. So well done. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being my guest. Um, and as we said there, if you would like to find out more about Elizabeth's work, you can connect with her on LinkedIn um, and I'll pop the micro bizmag um, link into the show notes so you can read some of her work there as well. Um, just one final thought to leave you with. Um, if you are interested in setting up a sober curious society within your workplace, I just wanted to share with you a wonderful testimonial that I received from uh, someone who belongs to the co-op's sober curious society this week. Um, I received an email that said, um, Janet, thank you so much for setting up this group. I honestly thought that I was the only sober person within the co-op and it's been wonderful to connect with the other people in this group and to feel normal at work. Isn't that just wonderful? Wanting to create a sense of psychological safety and belonging for people in the workplace is just the most rewarding work that I think I've ever done. Um, and we have an exciting development in our co-op group we have got our very first social planned, so we are going to be getting together at a local um, bar 
whether we're we're going to be tasting 30 alcohol-free drinks, which I'm so excited about because I love this alcohol-free drinks market. Um, And we'll be having pizza and then we'll be having a little bit of uh, music and dancing later on. So it's going to be a fantastic event and we're working in collaboration with the wonderful um, alcohol-free drinks company run by Andy Mee um, and his uh, business partner, Hannah Taylor, who is um, helping to put on the event for us. Uh, She runs the sort of co-company, which is uh, Bold AF Events. So, yeah, absolutely cannot wait for that. Uh, I'll be sure to update you on how that goes after we've we've had our event. Um, So, yeah, um, thank you so much for listening um, and I will see you in a couple of weeks. If you'd like to learn more about creating a drink-safe workspace without killing the buzz, visit choosesunrise.co.uk and head to the HR Services page. Let's end the stigma because nobody should feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use.